I got this great idea at Stanford University. There's Miracles 101. I'm going to enroll you in Miracles 101 at Stanford. Go to this class and take it. You'll be much better. (laughs) He didn't do that. Welcome to Pencil Leadership. I'm Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help you realize your full potential so you can leave a positive mark on the world. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. Jim Rohn said, if you want to be a leader who attracts quality people, the key is to become a person of quality yourself. And Winston Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. This is episode 119 with industry influencer, coach, and speaker, Tom Koretsi. Today, we're going to be diving into leadership foundation and what it means to be a servant leader So if you're trying to become a better leader or just a better person overall, this episode is for you. And if you like anything you heard, make sure to share it on Instagram so you can help somebody else. And don't forget to tag me at chris.t.anderson. Well, life brought me here and God brought me here. You (laughs) know, everybody has a journey. We're all coming from somewhere and we're all going to somewhere. And it's just where we are on that road. I had an opportunity to go international back in 1991. And I jumped at the chance and was international from 91 to 2005. So I spent a lot of time in different countries. As I like to say, I've worked on every continent except for Antarctica. And I'll skip that one. (laughs) Where's been your favorite so far? Or country? You know, everyone was a favorite. I'm one of those individuals who really appreciate. And look, each country and each continent has something positive to give you. Mm. And it's really up to you. If you embrace those goods and you can't ignore the bads, but every country I ever lived in or worked in, there was some good and there was some bad. So I embraced the good, learned from it, didn't pay really much attention to things that were not ideal. Yeah. And we have to accept what's negative and less ideal, but focus on the positive and focus on what we can have influence in. So now you're, I mean, full-time influencer, coach, speaker, how's that been for you? Well, look... Each one of us, each day, it's about influence. I think John Maxwell said leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. If you're in sales, you're trying to influence the other side to buy your product. You know, If you're in marketing, you're trying to influence millions and millions of consumers to recognize your brand and potentially buy your product. So we're all in the influence business. It's just you know how you're influencing and who you're influencing. So yeah, true. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and I've said like we have to perform on the stage we're given. Everyone has influence. Everyone has the ability to lead, and doesn't matter the level or what your title is or things like that. Because there are people that look up to you or look at you for guidance in some way or how you respond to things. And so I think yeah, I think we all have a percentage or a part of us that is influential or a leader to others. Well, I just caught one of the things you said, you know, you said something about influence through title. And that's really, I guess, the last way or last thing that should influence others is your title or your office. I think the best way to influence others is through who you are and what you do. Share a quick story with you from my international background. And back in 2001, when 9-11 happened, we were living just outside London in Windsor. By the way, this little story is in my book, See Sweet and Beyond. So Perfect. if somebody gets to read the book, they'll get to enjoy the story. But I happened to be on 9-11. I was actually in Holland in a conference room. And my wife, Kathy, was in England in Windsor. And she finally got me on the phone after probably about an hour because her phones were off in the conference room. It took me about two days to get home. 
So got back to England and Kathy's just kind of glued to Sky Television. I mean, Sky Television mm-hmm. is the TV in England and they show like thousands and thousands of people stranded at Heathrow Airport. And Kathy's kind of already, you know, we had many friends in New York. We lost three people who were firemen mm-hmm. in 9-11. And at that time, we didn't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, both New Yorkers, Kathy and I were kind of distraught. So Kathy, I feel I have to do something. So... She gets in the car and drives out to Heathrow Airport, which is only maybe 20 minutes away from our house. And at that time, Terminal 4 was the international terminal. So she goes to Terminal 4 and just kind of starts walking around. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? So it turns out two common themes evolve. One is nobody has any place to sleep right? because hmm. hotels are sold out. And a lot of people are maybe like, especially younger kids, they're on the end of vacation, they'll have money and they, they can't even buy food because he throws one of the most expensive places to buy anything in. Yes. So Kathy's, you know, light goes on in her head. She goes, look, I don't know if your viewers know too much about expats, but expats usually have a very tight community. They revolve around the international school. So everybody knows everybody's business and everybody has pretty nice houses in the expat community. So Kathy goes, well, what the heck? You know, let me get the phone tree going and see if we can board some of these people in people's houses. Everybody's got these big houses with extra bedrooms and full refrigerators and warm showers. So Let's see what we can do with that. So she gets on a phone tree and the school bus comes out to the airport maybe about an hour and a half later. She'll be loaded the school bus. It goes back to the schoolyard and everybody's there meeting, you know, the people that they're going to host. So word spreads the next day and my kids went to the uh, TASA school in England and there's three other international schools. So now word spreads. So three other international schools get involved, right? So now more buses, more housing, right? Second day, British Air actually goes up to my wife and goes, Kathy, here's a badge. This gives you access to the total airport. This is during 9-11, right? I mean, wow. yeah. <laughs> security. So, but look, from British Air's point of view, everybody's bitching and screaming at them, right? They say, look, it's not our fault. It's an act of war. We can't do anything for you. And then here comes Kathy and the international community and say, hey, don't worry. We got this. You know, we'll just <laughs> house people and take them off your hand. So they were delighted. And then another amazing uh, tangent to this, I think was the third day, Virgin Atlantic calls Kathy. Is this Kathy? Yeah, it is. This is Virgin Air. And hey, have we heard what you're doing? I think it's fantastic. We've got a jumbo leaving to the U.S. that has about 80 seats on it. So if you can get 80 people to the airport within the next four hours, they're going home. <laughs> wow. So I share that story because, you know, my wife didn't have a title. I was the CEO. My mm. wife, you know, living with me and she was very well connected through the international community and without a title, without a budget. I mean, you know, zero budget, zero title. But she was able to influence a whole bunch of people, including British Air and Virgin Atlantic, to you know, get people housed and get people transported. So yeah. that's about influence without a title. That's yeah. about it. And just taking action. I think she saw a need. She knew she had some ability possibly to help or was going to find out how to help. And she took action on that kind yeah. of that calling, that push to go do that. That's amazing. That's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So how can we go about in our lives, like understanding our influence? How can people realize that maybe if they don't and they're maybe not using it like they could? Everyone is influencing. And then I think it's just finding a calling in your life. And if you find your purpose and you find calling, then you have sort of a focus on how you want to influence people and how you can influence people. But make no mistake about it. Everyone influences somebody else every single day. Another story I wanted to share with you was I lived in Prague. It's a beautiful city. That was one of my expectations assignment. I absolutely loved it. It's like when you open a little storybook from when you were a kid and then you have all these enchanting castles and <laughs> princes and princes. That's what Prague looks like. It's just oh, absolutely. Wow. 
So we're living there about 96, 97, involved with the church group. And about 2006, 2007, when Facebook started getting into its own, and then I guess the common practice everywhere is, oh, there's Facebook. Let me find this person. Let me find that person, right? So all of a sudden, I get a message on Facebook, and it's from a young lady, and she says, are you the Tom Caresti that used to live in Prague? So I'm like, well, you know, if you Google Caresti, do you find me and my sister? That's it. (laughs) Nobody else out there. So I was in Prague, and I said, yeah, yeah, that's me, but I'm sorry. I have no correction who you are. How can I help you? So she sends back a message that says, I just want to thank you for changing my life. Wow. And I had no idea who this was. So then Kathy, my wife, looked at the notes and she said, oh, oh, that's a girl that used to be part of Jennifer's youth group. So I have no idea if it's something that I said to her, it's something that I did, you know, maybe the way she viewed it, the way I was interacting with my kids or my wife. But anyway, to make a long story short, apparently just by indirectly me acting or saying stuff, you know, she accepted Christ and changed her life. So every day you influence people, whether you realize it or not, because people are always watching you. Absolutely. They watch you what you're saying, they watch you what you're doing, make sure that lines up, right? That's extremely important that what you say and what you do is it lines up and it's not contradictory. So you're influencing your kids, you're influencing colleagues, you're influencing your neighbors, your friends. You just don't know it. There are a lot of people out there that they know they have influence and are trying to influence. How do we make sure? that we are positively influencing others and not negatively? Well, look, the first thing is understand who you are. Mm. Right? So my daughter, Alexandra, who is now 27, she is, quote unquote, an Instagram influencer, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's a whole other one. That, you know, I can go down on that tangent of you know, these Instagram influencers. The dumber the messages are on Instagram, the more people follow them. So Alex is a climber. She loves climbing mountains. She loves rock and all that stuff. So she's constantly out in nature, climbing stuff. And her second passion is photography. Awesome. So she basically takes pictures of herself and all kinds of, you know, different things in nature. So a number of companies have approached her to have product shots. But one of the first things she does is before she accepts any one of these offers is she basically reviews the company and tries to figure out, look, what is their vision? What are they trying to do? And if it's just about product placement, she turns them down. Hmm. If it's something much bigger than product placement, because trying to do something good in society, trying to do something for nature or something like that, then she accepts it. So that's part of influencing is what do you stand for? That's a great point. Having those values, knowing yourself, like you said, knowing your values, knowing your character and choosing things that align with that. Because I know a lot of people would just jump at anything if they were offered like, you know, a partnership or brand ambassadorship type thing. And so being like choosy, I guess, for lack of a better word, it's a great thing, just aligning with your values. Yeah, stand for something. I shared on many podcasts, so I'll share this with you as well. Imagine three circles. Mm -hmm. It's called a Venn diagram. And each one of the circles you put a question into. So the first question is, who am I? The second question is, what am I passionate about? And the third question is, what am I good at? So if you take those three circles for me, who am I? I'm a servant leader. What am I passionate about? I love people making people better. Some people calling, you know, adding value to people, adding value to companies, but, you know, taking something and making it better. And the third is, what am I good at? Well, I'm pretty good at leading and mentoring. So the beauty of understanding those three circles is I can be a servant leader at work. I could be a servant leader at church. I could be a servant leader for my family. I could be a servant leader on my tennis team. I mean, I can be a servant leader anywhere. 
I could be a mentor of my kids. I could be a mentor of my colleagues. I can add value to my customers. I can add value to my suppliers. So you can take those and kind of transform them anywhere in life. And it gives you a pretty solid foundation of what you're all about. Absolutely. Some people, some listeners might not know what servant leadership really means. Could you kind of expound on that a little bit? Well, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, servant leadership has become a buzzword, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years. It's like when customer service, you know, 40 years ago when customer service came out, it was actually about customer service. Today, (laughs) customer service is about collections, (laughs) right? So look, servant leadership is pretty simple to me. My definition of servant leadership, it's not about me. It's about something much, much bigger than me. So let's just say, for example, I'm a CEO of a company. Now, as a servant leader of a CEO of a company, I thought I always had the easiest job. Hmm. All I had to do was make sure everybody was on board with the vision and the culture of the company and make sure that was lived. And then after that, just to provide resources so people in my organization could be successful. They could be successful. So they may need resources in fiscal dollars for budgets. They may be resources in training or knowing how to do better. So there'd be all kinds of resources. But my job was really to support them and make them successful and create an environment where they can be successful. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I was doing. It was about me serving my organization, my customers, my suppliers. And through their success was my success. I don't know. That's a kind of oversimplified definition, but that's kind of what it says to me. Yeah. Seeing other people before ourselves, like getting them the help they need, getting them to that next level, you know, providing whatever they like the service they need before, like, what does it do for me? You think about them first. So I think that's a good way to define that. And then the other thing you said, you mentioned that you're good at being a leader or a mentor. What does being a mentor look like? Like truly, because again, I think you hear that find a mentor, get a mentor, you know, be mentored by somebody or mentor others once you get that success. What does good mentorship look like? First of all, it's a lot of time and a lot of investment of yourself. Look, one of the best mentors, since we're talking about faith, one of the best mentors in history was Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus took the 12 apostles and spent a lot of time with them, showed them what to do. I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, I got this great idea at Stanford University. There's Miracles 101. I'm going to enroll you in Miracles 101 at Stanford. Go to this class and take it. You'll be much better. Right? He didn't <laughs> right. do that. He yeah. basically spent time, energy, and effort showing those people what to do. And one of the things we earlier discussed, you and I, is to say, look, your actions and your words have to line up. So mm-hmm. in order for you to mentor somebody, in order for somebody to respect you, because, look, it's a two-way relationship. You can try to mentor somebody all you want. But if they don't respect you, if they don't think they're going to gain something by your mentorship, you're kind of, you know, blowing wind. You're not mentoring Mm -hmm. anybody. You're kind of talking to yourself. So it's a relationship. It's a relationship with somebody who are you going to mentor and they want to be mentored. They accept that. And it's an investment in time and effort. You know, you're not going to mentor somebody in five minutes. It'll take years. It's spending time together. I mean... Used to, in the old days, you know, hundreds of years ago, you had fathers and sons mentorship programs where, you know, a blacksmith father was working with his son in the blacksmith, you know, shop for 10, 15, 20 years. And his son was learning the trade. I mean, that's like a very fundamental definition of a mentorship. So mentorship to work, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes effort, and it takes a relationship. Mm. So we talked earlier, like everyone has influence and it was, darn, I forget his name but a prominent speaker, he was on the Global Leadership Summit with Craig Rochelle and all them. I forget 
who it was, but he said, everyone has influence, but not everyone should um, (laughs) because some don't use it right. And so I think of that, like, are some people just meant to be mentors or can every, or should everyone be a mentor? Is there a differentiating kind of line there? Everybody can be a mentor. Like I said, if you have something to share, if you're really good at something and you want to share that and somebody's willing to be mentored in that principle, then you can have a mentor relationship for anyone, right? But some people are not good mentors because they're not good Mm. teachers. I'm a big football fan. So last year, New York Giants hired their new coach. He basically, when he's put his staff together, he said, I don't want people that present. I don't want people who speak, you know, about big words. And I want teachers. I want people that can teach and show these players what to do. And more importantly, I don't want a system that the players don't fit. I want to devise a system for the players. So that spoke volumes to me because mentorship is about, look, here is the world through my set of eyes. You know, this is how I lived it. So because it worked for me, it should work for everybody else. That's not necessarily true. It's really finding what works for that individual that you're mentoring because they're not you. They are who they are. So Mm -hmm. what works for you may or may not work for them. Okay. So say maybe we get put in a leadership position or or asked to be in a leadership position or promoted to a leadership position. What are some foundational things about leadership that we could work on to improve to be a better leader in those positions? Well, look, the first thing is on any leader is make sure you've got a great inner circle, a great team around Okay. Now, make sure you got a really good, diverse team, right? I'm very much about diversity, but I'm not so much about diversity that you hear on television these days, right? I'm more about diversity because, look, I came from an international background, so I've always had diverse people on my team. I had men and women on my team. I had people from Africa on my team. I had people from the Far East on my team. I had people from Latin America on my team. And never in any conference room with all those diverse teams did I hear the kind of language I hear on TV today. So to me, it's a diversity of thought. And obviously, look, if you're living in Latin America versus living in Poland versus living in Zimbabwe, you know, you're going to have a little different thought because you're going to see the world a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. A number of years ago, I was up in Seattle. We were on a trip with the Wharton Fellows. Wharton Fellows is like, I guess, executives that work with Wharton and it's like a think tank. So we went up there and saw Costco and saw Starbucks and Costco did a little presentation for us about them, which was interesting. But Starbucks actually said, look, we got a bunch of bright minds in this room, so let's put them to work. They gave us assignments. <laughs> and that time, they were just about you know, going international. They were very strong in the U.S., and they were looking at expansion plans, and they were starting to go you know, international expansions. And I looked at their executive profiles in their annual report, and I said something very simple. Look, if you guys want to go international, you better get a diverse board. And you better get a diverse executive team because everybody on their executive team was like John Smith, Bob Jones, you know, I was like, (laughs) and Oren was their CEO, Oren Hatch, I think was the last name, was the CEO at the time. But it was a bunch of, you know, American white dudes. Mm -hmm. So I said, you're never going to go international this way. You better get some German sounding names or some Latino sounding names (laughs) or some other sounding names because the world sees itself very differently depending on where you are. Yeah. For sure, if you get into a leadership position, absolutely surround yourself with an inner circle. And a good inner circle is a diverse inner circle. And also in diversity of thought is even if you get, you know, four white women or white men or four Oriental guys or four Latino guys or four black guys in a room, even within that, there's going to be diversity of the way they see the world. And I Mm -hmm. oversimplify by saying people see the world four different ways. 
One way is to say, look, I'm an action-oriented guy. I just want to do things. It may be wrong, but I get energy and I get enthusiasm of doing things. Then there's a second group of individuals who are very analytical thinking. They have very difficult time making decisions because they still want to analyze and get more data points. There's a third type of individuals who sees the big picture. They're not so much about details that analysts are looking at, and they're not so much about doing. They're big thinkers. And then the fourth ones are the ones that I call, you know, the tree huggers, the Subaru people and say, okay, well, based on the decision we make, how is that going to affect the environment? How is that going to affect, mm-hmm. you know, our employees, our customers, et cetera? So what happens is, and I've taken a lot of tests, Myers-Briggs, LSI, DISC, Strength Finders, all these tests, and I've been very consistent over the last 35 years. I have a profile. How you see the world, your profile is not going to change. And so you're going to be dominant on one or two of these areas. And the mistake a lot of leaders make is they surround themselves with like-minded individuals because they get along. They think the same. So if you get a whole bunch of leaders and they're in a circle as action-oriented people, they're not going to analyze too much. Oh, that's the right thing to do. Let's just do it. You know, And then they'll do a great execution, but it's the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. So surround yourself with people who are your weaknesses. Mm. right? And make sure that the people in that room understand that there's different thoughts there and appreciate it. Because if you don't explain it to them, if they don't see it, if they don't see the benefits of the other person's way of thinking, then you can have, you know, disagreements or maybe stronger word arguments than disagreements, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. if yeah. people appreciate the different thought patterns in the room and there are a good balanced, diverse thinking team, then you've got a great, great, great team that can really deliver a lot of stuff for you. So that's clearly one of the things. So the four things that I talk about in my book is culture, vision, strategy, and team. So I just kind of explained to you the team. With that, I mean, you build a good team, but without vision, without strategy, I mean, it really is not going to go anywhere. And you have to all be on the kind of same page to get to that ultimate goal. And so, yeah, I like that you hit on the inner circle, that team aspect most with that, because I think with leadership, I know some people picture like the person way up front, you know, leading the chart, but it's the person who brings the right people together and they go forward as one that can get more done. And so that stands out to me a lot right there. Yeah. Like I said, it's not about you. It's about something Mm -hmm. much bigger than you. And, you know, human beings where one is too small of a number, I, I think maybe Simon Sinek said this, but one is too small of a number to achieve greatness. Surround yourself with a good team and don't be afraid of getting good, high quality people. Some people are insecure themselves and because they're insecure themselves, they have a tendency to not hire, you know, people who may be better than they are. So don't be afraid. Hire the best people. Here's another biblical principle. No, it's good. (laughs) So Old Testament, Moses' father-in-law, Jephthro, comes down and says, hey, Moses, man, you're burning yourself out. You're working way, way, way too hard. You can't just keep this up. So here's an idea for you. Hire judges, put them in charges of 10, let them decide the the easy cases and only bring the more difficult cases to you, right? So that's kind of the way the story goes and it's Mm. it's an exodus. But look, Jeffrey just doesn't just say hire judges. He say hire the best. And then after you hire the best, teach them the laws, right? So it's about training. It's about mentoring. mentoring, Then put them in charges of groups of 10. So now it's about delegation. And only let them decide all of them and only bring the most difficult cases to you. Mm -hmm. So that's like, you know, leadership 101 in Exodus 3,000 years ago, right? Hire the best, train them, teach them. By the way, putting in people in charge is a 10. 10 is a great number. You Mm -hmm. look at any organization, 
You got the executive C-suite is usually about 10 people. You have like a CIO, CMO, CFO, you know, COO. Maybe you got a couple of divisional people. When it gets to be, you know, more than eight, more than nine, then they start divvying it up and the CEO becomes a lot more influential. He gets a lot more responsibility. So maybe the CIO reports to the CEO, the CMO reports to the CEO. So <laughs> 10 is a great number. So if you're a leader, if you have more than 10 people reporting to you, that's a problem. You can't lead them. You can't spend quality time with them. So between six and 10 is a great number. Interesting. I never would have thought of like the number being important, but I can see if it gets too big, yeah, then you can't be as productive or influential with them. So, and this next question that kind of popped in my mind, I'm going to be interested to see your response and I might open a can of worms, who knows, but where do you think we're going wrong with our leadership in the world today? I think over the generations, and I heard my parents say, you know, our generation and it was great in your generation. <laughs> well, you know, you're saying this, that, same thing in the next generation. But I think one of the things that I see a lot is it's all about me. Truth has become relative instead of absolute. So if it feels good for me, then that's my truth. And if it feels true for you, then it's your truth. So absolute truth is starting to disappear. And we have this society of of relative truths. And, you know, people say, hey, you know, I think this is true. And I think this is what we should do. And I feel good about it. So it becomes very difficult to have strong leadership when there is no truth. So I think that's certainly one of the problems. And in parallel with that, I mean, being that you and I are both, you know, man of God, and we removed God and faith from a big part of our society. So because of that, absolute truth is disappearing and everything has become relative to truth. And hey, it feels good. Let's do it. I moved out to California back in 2004, 2005. Oh, man. <laughs> and I've never heard this phrase until I moved there, right? But I constantly heard it once I got to California. It was like, hey, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I heard that about a dozen times. I probably looked at the first and said, no, it's not all good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I found myself stuff. saying that. And I'm like, wait, uh, I'll see the positive. But yeah, there is not all good. Yeah. It's like I had a conversation a couple of days ago with a guy who was like, life should be easy. It should just be easy. And I'm like, uh, no. I was like, I'd have to disagree. I would say challenges. I mean, things are hard. Life is hard. Life is not meant to be easy. It can't, it won't ever be easy. But if we can go through the hard things, it'll improve us. And we can keep focused on the positive thing. Like, I was just like, no, like, life is not going to be easy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Even if you are comfortable at home, not doing anything and getting a bunch of handouts, it's still not going to be easy. You're going to just have different hards and things are going to be hard different ways. So. I think, yeah, I think leadership, I think it's a big responsibility and we got to, again, see and be that servant leader, that true servant leader and not just kind of the catchphrase that people use it as to make positive change. And we can only do that with other people. We can't do it alone. And so, Tom, I appreciate you being on sharing all this. It's been good, enlightening, and I think a lot of people can take some good points away so they can start using their influence in a stronger and more positive way. So before we kind of start wrapping up, I do ask one question of my guests that the fifth trade of pencil leadership is we're all created uniquely and with a purpose to leave a positive mark on the world. And so when everything is said and done for you here on earth, what do you hope your positive mark is? I would like that my legacy to be my kids. You know, Ruben Mark was the CEO of Colgate-Palmolive and I think it was like 28 or 30 consecutive quarters. He never missed a number. And everybody thought this guy was a great success. At the age of 18 or 19, his son died of a heroin overdose. So was he successful? 
maybe in business, but I would argue that in life he wasn't. So my legacy should not be how many companies I bought and sold or turned around or led or how much profits I made. But look, I'm married to my wife almost 40 years. We have three grown kids. Judge me or let my legacy be how my kids turn out. Wow. Because if I can't lead my kids and I can't mentor my kids, then I probably couldn't do a good job at work either. That's a good point and a great mark to be left because, I mean, they're the future. Generations to come are going to be our future, so we got to lead them well. So again, Tom, thank you so much for being on, sharing all this with us. Where can people connect with you and learn more about what you do and have to offer? Well, the easiest to do is I'm going to plug my book. Absolutely. Oh, please do. <laughs> yes. Beyond, just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, any online retailer will have it. And then the easiest way to connect to me is the blessing is that I have a very unique last name. <laughs> so if you just go to caresti.com, you'll find me, you'll find my email, you'll find my personal information. I have an open door policy. So just ask me any question, hook up with me, profile on LinkedIn or my website. Or if you don't want to talk to me and you still like what I have to say, I can influence you through reading my book. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, well, guys, definitely grab the book, get connected with Tom and just continue to learn and be mentored by him through social media and all he puts out there. But again, Tom, thank you so much for being on Pencil Leadership today. All right. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.